Right, good morning, everyone. How are you? You okay? So far, so good. Okay. Well, I had the joys this week of driving over on Thursday evening here to worship practice, which is a joy, and kind of listening to the news and kind of my heart sagging and thinking, you got to rewrite your message from the beginning, haven't you, son? And me going, yes, Father. <laughs> And so Friday was a fun day, Saturday was a fun day, but here we are. So I wanted to share something that I thought would be fitting and appropriate today, but also positive and hopefully inspiring and encouraging for you as we, as we remember and reflect and, dare I say, celebrate. You know, the Queen is in a great place today, and she's receiving her award, and so praise the Lord for that. You know, one of the, I think, the wisest things that we can do is, is to look for godly examples to follow, particularly people who have run a good race and who have been faithful to the end and have left a lasting and a significant legacy. What was it that Paul said? He, he, said, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, none of us, as far as I'm aware, personally knew Her Majesty, but I'm sure that she inspired us all. And I reckon that there are some very positive lessons that we can learn from her and her life today. What we're going to do is we can look at five hallmarks of the Queen's life. I realize that's at least two too many, probably four too many, but I, I got excited. Five hallmarks of the Queen's life and of her reign, dare I say, of her character. Five inspirations to us as we also endeavour to serve our Lord, King Jesus, over a lifetime. So here's the plan. It's going to go something like this. Five times round, we're going to look at, number one, we're going to name and describe the inspiring attribute or quality. Then secondly, we're going to briefly look at a Bible character who exemplified the same char characteristic. And then thirdly, we're going to consider how it applies to us in our walk with the Lord. That's the plan. So here are the five inspirations. Sometimes it's good to know where you're going, right? So you know what you're expecting. And so anyway, these are going to be the five things. The first one is, is long obedience in the same direction. The second one is she knew who she was and she knew, knew whose she was. See what I did there? Number three, in an ever-changing world, her values never changed. Number four, though born into privilege, she used what she had been given for kingdom purposes. And number five, kind of what we're building up to, is she knew and respected what she carried. Okay, so we're going to break each of those down, look at a biblical example, and then apply them to our, our own individual lives. Number one, long obedience in the same direction. It's a quote that I've heard one of my favorite writers, speakers, Mark Batson, used many times. I actually understand it's, it's the title of a book written by Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message a translation, long obedience in the same direction. And I reckon that 70 years definitely counts 
as long obedience in the same direction. I think we've heard uh, in, in the press this week that she made promises at her coronation many, many, many years ago that she took incredibly seriously. And she clung to those promises for 70 years and never let go. But Her Majesty, it wasn't up and down. She didn't lurch back and forth or drift in and out. But she was constant and she was consistent and faithful and dutifully obedient. Okay, for a Bible character, actually there are quite a few to choose from in this category. I've chosen Moses. Now, if you remember the story of Moses, Moses was called quite young. I mean, he had an interesting start to his life there in the royal court in Egypt. What happened was he let his temper get the better of him at about the age of 40. Actually, if you read, Stephen told the story of Moses in the book of Acts. We put some dates and times on it. So at the age of 40, he had that incident uh, in Egypt. Uh, and then, if you remember, he kind of had to be exiled, and he went and he tended his father-in-law Jethro's sheep over there in Midian for, guess how long? 40 years. But then he had that burning bush experience. And he headed back to Egypt again with a renewed sense of mission. He tussled with Pharaoh. He led the Israelites across the Red Sea into the wilderness. But guess what? Another 40 years. Now you can do the maths on that. He even beats Her Majesty the Queen. And so here's the application for us. How constant and consistent and faithful are we? Is it long obedience in the same direction? Are you up and down like a roller coaster? Do you tend to blow hot and cold? As you look back, have you had, have, have you had fallow years away from the Lord, mixed with good years when you've walked with the Lord? Because the aim is long obedience in the same direction. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, sisters, I think you count, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that you're in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So for Her Majesty, Dare I say for, for Moses, the, the example and the inspiration they gave is they kept straight ahead, long obedience in the same direction, striving for that consistency and that faithfulness and that dependability. Now, that's a fantastic quality if you want to leave behind a lasting legacy. Now, I realize I've got to rattle through these. I've got five to get through. Number two is Her Majesty knew who she was and she knew whose she was. You know, she was well aware of her status. She, she was well aware of her position. She was well aware of her responsibility. 
And she knew where that came from, and she knew exactly what that meant. She knew who she represented. She knew who she served. And she took it very seriously. And the point is, it should be the same for us. We should know who we are, and we should know whose we are. We should know our position in Christ as a chosen generation, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, as a people belonging to God. We should know our status as adopted sons and daughters of the king. We should know our position, our status as co-heirs with Christ, as ambassadors of Christ. In other words, we should know who we are and whose we are. You see, the queen knew what she was born into. Do we know what we have been born again into? The queen never lost sight of what she was born into. Do we ever tend to lose sight of what we were born again into? Bible character here, again, if you could choose from, chosen the Apostle Paul. And then after that Damascus Road experience, he, he spent some time, didn't he, with Ananias. He had to learn who he had become in Christ. And that's the key. Paul the Apostle knew who he had become in Christ. He knew that on that fateful day, his salvation day, he, he knew that his identity had changed. And his conduct and his decisions and his direction from that point forward determined by who he knew that Christ had fashioned and formed and recreated and positioned him to be. As a child of God, as a sinner saved by grace, as a servant of Jesus, in his case, as apostle to the Gentiles. So for us, do we know who we are? The queen knew who she was and who she was. Do you know who you are and do you know whose you are? I'm going to blind you here. I'm going to shotgun barrel you for 30 seconds. Colossians 3 verse 3 says, For you died, old you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You are now positioned in Christ Jesus. And that creates or opens up a whole new world for us. In Christ you are. Are you ready? Here we go. In Christ you are a new creation. In Christ you are the righteousness of God. In Christ you are an ambassador. In Christ Ephesians 1 you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. These are statements of fact written about you in the New Testament. Still in Ephesians 1, in Christ you are chosen. In Christ you are holy and blameless. In Christ you are adopted as sons and daughters. You are redeemed by his blood. You are free from condemnation in Christ Jesus. Romans 8. 
Also in Romans 8, you are no longer a slave to fear. Still in Romans 8, you are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Still in Romans 8, you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? You are a citizen of heaven. You are seated in heavenly places. You are God's workmanship. You have been brought near by his blood. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And you are branches on the vine. And you need, amen. Thank you. And you need to know, you need to know at all times, everywhere you go, whatever you are facing, you need to know who you are and whose you are. Okay, number three, we're doing well. Number three, in an ever-changing world, think about that for a second, an ever-changing world, born in 1926, nearly as old as David Ludlow. Really. In an ever-changing world, her values never changed. Times changed. Circumstances changed. People changed. Prime ministers changed. 14 times for her. There were 15 in total. And culture changed beyond belief. Her values never changed. What she understood to be true and right and noble and valuable to her was unshakable. It was a cornerstone for her. And those values shaped her priorities and determined her conduct and made her decisions. And I've heard her repeatedly commended through this week for her integrity. Integrity means you are the same in public as you are in private. It means you will be the same tomorrow as you were yesterday. It means your conduct is not swayed by popular opinion. It's not swayed by ease or convenience. It's not adapted to avoid uncomfortable consequences. Integrity is you do the right thing simply because it is the right thing. Okay, my Bible character is Joseph, as in Jacob's son, the dreamer, if you remember, who became one of the key rulers in the whole nation of Egypt. And do you know what? Whether he was being thrown in a pit, a well by his brothers, whether he was serving in Potiphar's household, whether he was being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, whether he was interpreting dreams in prison or working for Pharaoh or reconciling with those pesky brothers, Joseph stuck to his guns. Joseph never lost his integrity. He never forgot God's call. He never neglected his gift. He never lost sight of his heritage. And he never strayed from mercy and forgiveness. So inspiring, just like Her Majesty. So for us, Proverbs 3, 
Verse is wonderful. My son, my daughter, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them round your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And then you will find favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. You know, we need to dig those biblical values deep. We need to drive that stake into the ground. Grace, love, integrity, faith, hope, and redemption. Everything Jesus taught and modeled and called for. And so as followers of Jesus, we must decide to be value-driven rather than circumstance-driven. We must decide to be word-based, not opinion-based. We must decide to be faith-ruled, not fear-ruled. We need to determine to be spirit-led and not comfort-led. And we need to decide to determine to be founded on the rock rather than built on sand. In an ever-changing world, our values in Christ never change. Okay, we're doing one. Number four. Number four, though, born into privilege, she used what she'd been given for kingdom purposes. So though she was, though she was born into privilege, though she was handed exalted status, she used it for kingdom purposes. She used it to serve. She used it to model those values. She used it to reconcile. She used it to, to gently and skillfully guide. She used it to point people to Jesus. She used it to exemplify gospel values of love and sacrifice and service. Here's the point. We also have an exalted position and status. We are children of the King. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are chosen. We are blessed. We, we are filled. We are empowered. And we too need to use all of that for kingdom purposes. Here's my Bible example. My Bible example here is Daniel. Remember the story? The, the Hebrews were in exile in Egypt. Sorry, Babylon. The bottom line is it had gone badly wrong for them. They turned their backs essentially as a nation against God. They'd been led astray and they found themselves under discipline in an alien, foreign nation. Remember the story, right at the very beginning, Daniel 1, verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Okay, born into an exalted status. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years 
And after that, they were to enter the king's service. And of course, if you remember that story, Daniel refused, Daniel and his friends refused to eat food that had been offered to Babylonian idols. But they still came out stronger and healthier than their rivals. Daniel refused to bow down to King Darius's statue and for his pains was thrown into the lion's den. But he continued to worship and to pray despite the intimidation. And do you know what? He came out without a single bruise on his body with a new position of honor and authority in Babylon. And the point is, his purpose in God superseded any perceived rights of human privilege. Daniel could have compromised, but he knew he was born for so much more than that. He recognized that God had set him apart. He recognized that God had chosen and blessed him and would therefore devote himself to the Lord and his purposes. So for us, as I said, we too have exalted position. We have an exalted status as king's kids. We're in Christ. That, that is a position in which we now stand. We have gifts and talents that we have been given. And we too need to use all of that for kingdom purposes. Like those characters in Jesus' parable of the talents, if you remember that, we need to take what the Lord has entrusted to us and put it to good use. So that one day, hopefully, the Lord can tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I don't know, but I'm I am pretty sure that on Thursday night, Jesus said to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, to be fair, the queen was dealt what we call a five-talent hand. But she certainly leveraged what she had been given. She had much, but she did much with it. Number five, last one. Our queen knew and respected what she carried. In our case, and actually in her case, we know and respect whom we carry. There's a quote which I discovered with Shakespeare, Henry IV, part one. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Now, she didn't literally wear that crown all day long. My wife was disappointed that Charles didn't get a crown on his head yesterday. She didn't literally wear that crown all day long, but she knew what it represented. She wore that mantle wherever she went, and she took it very, very seriously. Biblical example here, last one, is, is King David. Now, uh, there's, a, there's a famous story, if you recall it, in which King Saul had made it his sole and primary purpose and objective to hunt down and to kill 
his perceived rival, whose name was David. And in the story, King Saul needed a leak, as one does, and Saul happened to wander into the cave where David and his mighty men were hiding. And his men turned and said, you got him, David. He's at your mercy right in front of you. And in that story, David crept forward, if you recall, and he just cut off a piece of the hem of King Saul's garment. But listen to this, 1 Samuel 24, verse 5. David was conscience-stricken, having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Actually, there were two instances just like that in that book. It is the question, why wouldn't David kill King Saul? Great question. Right there and then, it would have solved all of his problems. But the clue is there in verse 6. The Lord forbid that I should lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. The point is, the anointing was a massive, big deal to David. Remember the story where he's chosen out of of that lineup of Jesse's sons. In fact, he's not even in the room. He's out with the fields. He's brought in, and the prophet Samuel anoints him. He pours that flask, a little cross on the head, pours a flask of this anointing oil all over him in a deeply significant symbolic moment in his life. Psalm 23, verse 5, you pre- he wrote this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, David there, who hadn't yet stepped into his promised role as king, knew how crucial the anointing was. And I reckon David replayed in his mind over and over again that scene, Samuel's anointing oil running down his neck and his head and his garments. And as he did so, David would have thought something like this, that oil represents God in me. It represents God on me, God through me. That anointing oil represents my calling and my purpose and my gifting. That oil represents my office and my status, my significance, my destiny. And above all, that oil represents God Almighty's presence with me. No wonder he said, don't touch it. Don't mess with it. I forbid it. That anointing is just too valuable. It's too precious. It's crucial. In his mind, Saul may well have been rejected, but he was still the one that the Lord had anointed. David, I'm sure, was thinking, if I treat that anointing on him with contempt, it shows that I do not value what I have. I do not value what I carry. 
So for us, we're nearly there. Ask, do we know what, or rather whom, we carry? Do we know the mantle that we wear? Do we know what fills us, empowers us? Not, not a crown of gold, but the very person and presence of the Holy Spirit. Precious and powerful and changes everything. In closing, I'd like to honor our dearly departed queen, whose example was indeed inspirational, who lived out many of the values that we so admire, who took her obligations and responsibilities unbelievably seriously, and who to a large degree did, as Jesus said, she laid down her life for her friends. And as such, she deserves our admiration. And that reminds us, of course, of Jesus. Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus, whose, whose compassion led him to a life of sacrifice, who literally laid down his life in our place on the cross to give us, a people who had scorned and rejected him, to give us an eternal future we certainly did not deserve. Do you know what? Given, given the loss of the only monarch that most of us, almost all of us, have ever known, I'm feeling a little sorry for myself today. Certainly was on Thursday evening when I heard the news. Do you know what? I have, I have, I have the greatest sympathy, I'll say symphony, that too, the greatest sympathy for Her Majesty's nearest and dearest. But you know what? I am not in the remotest bit feeling sorry for her, given the assurance that we have of eternal life in Christ and the fact that she is now with her Lord and receiving her hard-earned and well-deserved reward. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back to the front, please, if that's okay. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to, but we're not going to have a response time per se today, uh, but we're just going to spend a bit of time in worship, singing songs that, that for me, come out of uh, the, the message that I've just spoken. Um, we'll sing a song, but maybe a second one, and then I'll ask Paul if you wouldn't mind wrapping up. Let's pray. Why don't you stand? You've been seated so nicely and patiently for so long. Stretch those legs. And we'll pray. Father, it is indeed inspiring to be reminded of those characteristics and those qualities, the way Her Majesty understood so much, both of the bigger picture, but also of the detail. And, and thus set a stirring example for us to follow, following in the example of Jesus, following, as we've read, in the example of some of the patriarchs and the heroes of the faith of old, and, and shining in many ways a, a road ahead for us. 
And my prayer is out of, out of this that we will know who we are. We, we, will, we will understand what that means. That we will know, therefore, what we are called to. But we will also know that the status that we have, the, the infilling that we have, the anointing that we carry to do what you've called us to. That applies to us as individuals, as families, and it applies to us as a church. So Lord, as we reflect, it's a perfect opportunity for us to say, Lord, we are yours. We're grateful that you have saved us. We're stunned that you have chosen us. Lord, use us for your glory. If you use us in just a fraction of the magnitude of the way that you used Her Majesty, then we will be too will be able to leave a legacy of significance. So Lord, as we worship, as we re-surrender, as we remind ourselves that you are Lord and King, remind ourselves that you are the one that we follow. Lord, would you encourage our hearts? Would you stir our faith? Would you strengthen our love? And would you send us out afresh in your name, in the power of your spirit, for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.